TED Audio Collective. In the tech world, one mythical beast symbolizes success. It's the unicorn. In Silicon Valley, being a unicorn means your company is valued at over a billion dollars. There are only about 350 of these rare companies in the world. So when I think of unicorns, I actually think of that scene in Harry Potter. Drinking the blood of a unicorn will keep you alive even if you are an inch from death. But at a time. Yeah, the evil Voldemort slays a lovely pure unicorn for its vitality. But I also think it's interesting that more and more people in the real world think tech unicorns are the ones drinking the blood to stay alive. The blood of consumers draining our society of its vitality. Look, I'm no J.K. Rowling, but let's just take Uber as an example. Yes, the company known for disrupting transportation has made getting around easier for some people. But it also makes earning a living wage nearly impossible for its drivers. Some say it's contributing to the breakdown of public transportation generally. How? By using investor money to keep rides so low that people would rather take a cheap and easy Uber than wait for the bus or pay for a full fare taxi or just walk. Destroying the competition takes a lot of money, which is why when Uber recently filed to go public, the company admitted that, quote, it may not achieve profitability. But whatevs? Investors are betting that eventually Uber will monopolize the industry. It will win. Unicorns represent exponential growth, winner takes all, this zero-sum game mentality. Startup founder Jen Brandle has watched this mindset trickle down into the collective American consciousness. The belief that success in business means scaling. Actually, the term is blitz scaling. It's become the norm, says her friend and colleague, Mara Zepeda. You are sticking that culture into your organization, and your organization becomes a reflection of what that is. But what if you don't want to build an organization like that? What if you don't want to be a unicorn? Jen and Mata have an alternative, a new brand of entrepreneurialism, one better symbolized by a four-hoofed creature that actually does roam the earth, the zebra. And the incredible thing about a zebra is that they don't survive by crushing the competition and disrupting the industries and, like, winner-take-all kind of mentality. They survive by cooperation. In the wild, the reason they can exist is because together they can confuse predators. <laughs> I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is ZigZag, where we take an honest look at the culture of business and what needs to change. On this episode, Zebras Unite. A growing movement that's challenging the Silicon Valley status quo, creating a network of companies that make money and do right by their customers, by society, even themselves. Many of you have told us you want this too, but you've hit roadblocks. It was just two of us women trying to make it work, and we weren't even based in Silicon Valley. We were really determined to do this in the right way. I think like you all are just holding tight to our values. I have reached out to people in that industry, and they said that I'm not invited to their meetups or their groups or their 
uh, founder fuels because I'm not part of any of these accelerator programs. I've written the business plan, pitched to several local economic influencers who say, that's a great idea. We really need that here, but I can't help. Well, the zebras think they can help by bringing people together who want to do business differently, breaking the unicorn mindset. More right after the break. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. We're back. I'm Anoush. I'm Mata Zapeta. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Switchboard. And I'm Jennifer Brandel, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Harkin. Back in 2015, Mata Zapeta and Jen Brandel, both former reporters, were starting software companies. Mata's company Switchboard builds university alumni networks. Jen's company Harkin connects newsrooms with readers. But that fall, back in 2015, they ran into each other at a conference and they discovered that they were both living in, as they put it, financing purgatory. Jen and I went to this really expensive smoothies shop, and we were, like, in our uncomfortable business lady jackets, and we were like, oh, crap, this is not working out. We just started trading notes about our experience as startup founders, looking for capital and what the constraints were that we were running into, and asking ourselves, do we not have a right to exist because the systems aren't set up for the paradigms and the altitudes we're thinking at? Jen and Mara both wanted to build their companies slowly, thoughtfully. Meanwhile, venture capitalists were pouring money into startups that would move fast and grow big. Venture capital is steroids. So as a founder, if you go to raise, you raise with venture, you're basically saying, I would like steroids and I would like Soylent and I would like to not sleep and I would like to eat this culture. Yeah, some people call it the foie gras investment strategy. Okay, so no VC for Mara and Jen. But other kinds of investment didn't fit with them either. Philanthropists mostly gave to nonprofits, while social impact investors, as they're called, were more interested in funding big clean energy or global health projects. Mana and Jen felt stuck. They'd started companies that were for profit and for a purpose. There was demand for their products. But they needed the money to keep going to build their companies, and they couldn't find that money. So did that mean that their companies shouldn't exist? Together, we answered, no, I think we should exist. We just need to figure out by tooth and nail (laughs) and blood and sweat and tears um, how to create a path for founders like us. So together, Jen and Mata wrote a blog post describing their dilemma. You know, we posted it to Medium. And what we wanted to know is, how alone are we? We were curious. Are we just running up against this? Are we crazy to think that there should be an option between being strictly for-profit or strictly for-purpose and trying to figure out a capital system that could allow for those things to exist in harmony? And so we put just a simple Google form linked to at the bottom of that article to understand, do you resonate with this? Who are you? What are you up to? What are you building? Have you made money on this idea? Like, where are you stuck? All of those things we just Mm -hmm. wanted to 
to know? And the response was absolutely overwhelming. It was more than 2,000 people wrote in in the survey to say, what you're saying is what I've been running into. Thank God. We are here. We are visible. Let's do this. And that was, to say the least, something that took Mata and I by surprise and also paralyzed us to a degree because we're like, oh, God, there's a big thing here. <laughs> what have we done? What have we done? <laughs> we've, we've just poked a bear <laughs> and a, a very wonderful bear that we've been nurturing now. Um, but we wanted this year to figure out what are the value systems if unicorns represent exponential growth, winner takes all, this zero-sum game mentality. What is it that we want to do? It's not just the opposite, but we need to articulate what that opposite looks like. And like any <laughs> sticky idea, you need something metaphorical often to jump onto yes. and let people latch onto. And since the unicorn was already in the equine family, <laughs> a zebra or a zebra, if you're from outside of the U.S., was this kind of natural animal that not only stood for being, it's not only real, unlike a unicorn, but it also is black and white. It can be both at once. It can be for profit and for purpose. One description that I thought summed it up really nicely, zebras, tell me if you agree with this, zebra companies are mostly founded by women and people of color. They favor quality over quantity, reward creation over consumption, and seek sustainable growth over quick exits. Zebras are about repair, not disruption. All of that sounds so good to me, but do these companies actually exist? What are some of the examples that you give to people when they're like, all right, well, can you actually do this? Yeah, I think that description is really accurate. The one footnote I would say is there are a lot of men who are a part of this movement. And mm-hmm. so we're talking mm-hmm. about enlightened founders that are down with the value system. I think the bigger point is it's not a pipeline problem. It turned out that people didn't want to be in that pipe. People don't want the pipe of VC. They want to create. They want to give back to their communities. They want to grow wealth. They want to have a legacy. And so the value system of venture capital just didn't align with the founders. That was something that was interesting. But I think to your summary, yes, these companies exist, and there are so many examples of them. There are companies that people know and love, like Mailchimp, which is a bootstrapped company that is able to give so much of their profits back to the community because they don't have to answer to investors. I mean, we think what's really interesting is the zebras coming up. So founders like Shiza Shah, who's in London, has a company called Up Effect, which is a way to crowdfund social impact companies so that they're able to get the capital they need. And she's based on these principles of Islamic finance, which talks about in that system, essentially, you have something called like a zakat, I believe it's called, and it's a tax on your business operations, not from a charitable perspective, but a recognition that you have to pay it forward back into the community so more entrepreneurs can fill in, right? So you just mentioned MailChimp, which we use MailChimp. And honestly, had I known that they fit into this ethos, I would be even more of a supporter of the company. What I want to do for our listeners is compile a list of like, you need a newsletter? Mm -hmm. Think about this company because it aligns with the values we talk about. You need a browser? I always say, you know, Firefox. That is what I think people are looking for is, okay, I'm with you on all of this. Tell me how to put my money where my mouth is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like we need sort of a 
I don't want to say directory, but it's like we need to surface and celebrate and know about these companies more so that we can put our money towards them and we can feel better about those purchasing decisions. What you're seeing with Amazon in New York, Mm -hmm. these are massive movements of people that are just saying no to that type of capital and that type of ethos. And I think exactly to your point, people want to know what to say yes to. And that's where the Zebra movement is coming in to provide some guidance. And it's not something that we're going to have the encyclopedia of zebras overnight. It's something that we need to cultivate as a community. No one's going to come up with this alone and prove out 800 models and have multiple term sheets depending on your growth trajectory, your value system, et cetera. That's all stuff that's nascent and is being born, but it can only be born through community and relationships, learning from one another and sharing documents and saving founders their most precious resource, which is time. So the more that we can cut down that time and give people the lawyers who are on this wavelength, the accountants who are on this wavelength, the advisors, the investors, the fellow travelers travelers, the quicker we can speed up this transformation because it is going to happen in community. Can we talk about the investors who are on board with this? Because at the end of the day, they still want to make their money back, right? So how do you restructure a relationship where those of us who are new to this world, you think, okay, somebody puts in a certain amount of money and then they want, we've been told, 10x returns. Actually, one VC told me, oh, no, 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 no. We want 100x returns. Wow. Who are the people who are thinking differently and why are they thinking differently? I think there are tons of people who think this way and who have this value set, but they haven't realized that they can map it to their capital system and their investments. And that's something that we're working on getting the word out about and creating those frameworks so that they aren't afraid to take these chances on their investments and and figure out how do I make these win-wins. And that might be through revenue-based financing and royalties or building cooperatives or having buyback structures for your shares and your capital. There's so many different ways, so many different forms it can take. What Mana and I have found is that the faster upfront in the relationship around raising money you can be with investors to say, these are my values and I'm sticking to them, the easier and the quicker you start to separate the wheat from the chaff and find the investors who are aligned and who are open and experimenting and then also might have friends who are open and aligned and experimenting. It's that network building of really spreading the word and finding those early adopter risk takers slash pioneers (laughs) that can do this work. I got extremely lucky. I found one of them in Denmark, of all places. And it actually makes a lot of sense now that I'm learning more about Scandinavian culture, that this concept of reciprocity and of power sharing and power dynamics and not having an investor be like the lord over the startup founder, but actually being a partner and being like a contributor to this greater thing is something that comes, I think, more naturally to the democratic socialist countries, if I may. And so this guy, Morten Anderson, came along, who's this Danish investor, and we created a structure where we're doing revenue-based financing. He does not own any of my American company. He is there to provide a low-interest loan to me that I pay back as I make more revenue. So this is a way Hmm. of preserving my control of the company and not basically giving this thing that I've been nurturing for many, many years and pouring my blood, sweat, and tears in, not just giving some wealthy person a big chunk of that because they have money, but actually helping me earn more value and more just more strength in the company that I'm building. I mean, it sounds a little bit like philanthropy in some ways in that some philanthropists are saying, oh, we'll put money into companies as long as they show that they have a path to being self-sustaining. Is it only possible for investors who've already made a ton of money to be able to support companies like yours? No. 
I'm really grateful to you for bringing it up because we get to correct the record. You don't have to take philanthropy to be healthy. You can find healthy investors. You can find investors that say, I'm interested in giving you a nourishing meal that has a lot of vegetables and nutrients so that you can go. That's not called philanthropy. That's called aligned investment. And Jen's story is just such an incredible one of finding an investor that's like, I'm here to support and nourish you and make sure you thrive and create a healthy company. So the food that I'm offering in the form of this capital is going to look that way. And so what we're trying to say to founders, you have the right to ask for your own diet and you can ask for what type of food and nutrients you need. If you're the type of investor that's like, I really enjoy a leafy green every now and then and some like nourishment, then we are saying if you are that investor, come forth and make yourself known. If your state pension fund wants to stand for that, come forth. If your foundation and your impact investment fund wants to come forth, Come and make yourself known. And if you are a founder that is looking for nourishment, we are asking you to be brave and courageous enough to come forth and demand the capital that you want for your organization so we can start to create health in our community. And this is the cure. The cure is going to come through this type of nourishing capital. And I think philanthropy has a huge role to play in this. They're also maybe the most slowest moving entity out there. <laughs> Talk to me in 20 years when like one of the yes. grant proposals might have come through. And that's my message to philanthropy. Get on the boat, friends. It's like the train is leaving the station. Yeah. Y'all can't keep piddling around with $100,000 pilots here and there. Stick your capital into the communities that need it and make us healthy. And someone out there, one of you foundations that's listening to me right now, be brave and get that capital in the community instead of dilly-dallying. And the scarcity mindset is starving democracy. Democracy. I wonder if what you're talking about, and I wonder if this reflects the way that the Danish economy and, and society is set up. It's a very homogenous group of people. They have health care. The taxes are incredibly high. There is a layer of comfort to the entire nation that I think in the United States we certainly don't have because I meet a young person every single day who is making decisions based on whether or not they have health care. Health care alone, I think, is stifling innovation in this country. Mm -hmm. So are we talking about a radical shift in mindset here in the United States and in other sort of muscly countries, just to keep going with your yeah. metaphor? If we dial back and think about it, there's so many threads of our culture that are coming through in the capital systems that we have created and that we have allowed to mutate into what they are now. And some of them is just that individualism that is part of the American ethos that, like, you yes. can do it alone, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go west, young man, all of that stuff is some of that baked into this idea of like this genius founder who can go do it alone and crush the competition and become that person who has a statue built about them and oil paintings in the hallway. That is part of that American ethos that is really actually mutating and causing us to suffer. And then the other thing is just around the American dream the way that it started to become in the consciousness here is that everyone by their own work ethic, by their own purity of values, and by the fact that they were contributing to society would have the promise that they would be taken care of, that they could actually have a life and sustain themselves in a family. And the American dream has been so mutated over the course of the last 30 or 40 years with capitalism and the flow of money into the market. I'm not going to go into the gold standard and what happened in the 70s and 80s and how that really mutated the fact that we now look at the American dream and we now look at our own 
personal worthiness through the lens of extraction and through the lens of mm-hmm. kind of mutation. So whether that's we look to feel worthy through the money that we have or the power that we have or the beauty that we have or the sexiness that we have, that's how— Or the followers. Or the that followers we that we have or the retweets that we're getting. We are so starved for meaning, for narrative, for human connection, and for being seen and heard right now that we have perverted the system beyond all recognition and our God is money. And that God is not a God (laughs) that is one that we want to build our companies around. That is an outcome of being of service. So you have to flip it sequentially. And if you're not being a company that is optimized for being of service and helping people self-actualize, then what you're doing is you're building a company with the foundation on the roof and it will crumble. Self-actualizing. That's some serious Oprah shit there. But I'm actually coming around to it. In a minute, Jen Brandle and Mara Zapeta try and help me self-actualize for our company, Stable Genius Productions. Their coaching will probably help you, too. Back in a minute. It's Zigzag. I'm Anoush. And on this podcast, my producer, my co-founder, Jen Poyant, and I are looking at the culture of business and what needs to change. And it's personal because we are building our business as we make this show. And we're trying to learn from people who are already redefining success. And that includes you, dear listener. Jen's going to join us in just a minute. But I want to get back now to Mara Zapeta and Jen Brandle, the women behind Zebras Unite. I really wanted to ask their advice. We've talked about the macro. I want to go super micro. Jennifer Poyant, my co-founder, we have a vision for what Stable Genius Productions can be. We want people to become stable geniuses with us. We want them to get podcasts and guides and newsletters and maybe even, maybe, products that let them spend money, put their time, put their brain power in places that align with their values. We have a pretty clear vision of it, but as with much of media, as you well know, we don't know that we have a direct line to profit. I mean, we'd be totally lying if we were like, and according to our projections, by 2022, we will have X amount of revenue. Media is in a a very experimental place right now, and We don't want to grow a business that has 150 people working there and where we're making dozens and dozens of podcasts. We have a very specific point of view. And people are circling us, but I don't know. We're very new at this, so I'm listening so carefully to what you're saying and wondering how we proceed. One of the things I think about, especially with you, Manoush, and the experience that you and Jen have in the work that you've done at ZigZag, but then, I mean, I was a new Tech City listener and a note to self listener. I've been, right I've been following your journey and your path for many years. And one of the things that I think you do that is the hidden secret sauce is that you cultivate community. And what you do is you create opportunities for people to participate, to be heard, to be seen, to have their voice and their contribution matter. And if you think about the work that you did with Note to Self, where you were doing these exercises, these bored and brilliant, and all of these incredible experiments that you were doing that invited people in to contribute. Think about if you had to, instead of inviting people in and 
and having their contributions fuel the work that you're doing in an intellectual way. They were sending you voice memos and pictures and ideas and participating. That's something you can't pay for. That is worth so much money in terms of the value that was generated in the world, not only actual money, but also the value of people feeling noticed and understood and lifted up and and important, you know, and they are. They made for the content that influenced brains around the world. I don't know what your listenership is and was there and now, but you are influencing a lot of people and you are helping to seed ideas that are extremely powerful. And if you look to that community first, how do you serve them? What do they need? Mm -hmm. What is it that you can create and how can you let them network with each other in a way that creates value? That is something no investor can just give you money and like make happen. That's something that comes from your personal values, your and Jen's values. And that's something that is, it's priceless, really. It's about the relationships that you're building and the platform is in service to those. Yeah, just to echo what Jen said, uh, one thinker who has influenced us so much is this woman, Margaret Wheatley, who speaks about this notion of a simpler way. And Jen has a great interview with Margaret that you can link to on your show notes where she essentially says, Mm -hmm. I don't believe in big. I believe in small rooms. And the more and more I think about this, I'm now operating at a scale of like 20 to 40. You just start with 20 to 40. All community building, all best practice, like everything that's ever been started, the Margaret Mead quote is absolutely true. It's small groups of people. I think what's really interesting about that is we're seeing that small groups of people are providing a lot of capital value. There's a very large market opportunity in very small groups. That was my fortune that I got the other day at the Chinese restaurant. Small opportunities represent big enterprises. You really got that? I really did. I will send it to you. No, come on. I will send you a photo. But I think you're on the right path. Like, keep going. And I think we're all living the same questions as you are, which is we don't know how it's going to shake down. We're trying to build the airplane while flying it. No one has the answers right now. We all know intuitively that we feel sick. We all feel what we all know that we're feeling, which is like this toxic saturation. And we know that the spaces that you're creating with the show and that you've created are the cure. And our hypothesis with zebras and with our companies is capital follows the cure. Mm. And I think operating from those principles of extraordinary service and humility and creating the safest and most awesome container possible is what people are starving for. And you've created that with the show. And we believe in you. And we believe that capital is going to come. And so I just want to flip the question back on you right now and say, what do you need? Mm -hmm. Signal the resources that you need. You have hundreds of thousands of listeners. Like, have you ever just said, like, this is what I want to do, and this is how I need your help. Let your listeners become your mutual aid society. They will mm-hmm. come to you if you can marshal the bravery and the specificity to ask for what you need. It's funny how coming from a place of, like, I worked for the BBC, mm-hmm. I worked for public radio, and I'm a woman who, <laughs> you know, I, it feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it was okay being like, support public radio, <laughs> call one 888 You know what I mean? That is ingrained in my mind. But asking, because it's about us, right? And it's this self-doubt that you just got to get over, yes. which is I feel like the leg up that the Soylent drinking bros have because I don't think that's as much of an issue for them. You have to do it. Our survival 
depends on it. I know that sounds overwrought, but women have to get over undervaluing their services. I have a dear friend, Debbie Bear, who has this incredible pants company called The Willery. She makes clothes, and she worked as a costume designer for years with Steppenwolf in Chicago, and she has all these friends, and she just saw all these women where pants were like this fucking— Sorry, can you curse? No, do it, yes. <laughs> okay, pants were just this, like, oppressive object on your body. They were riding up. They were riding down. <laughs> Debbie was like, we can design better pants. And so she did this years of research to find the most incredible fabric that is like equestrian material. And then she designed with tons of different body shapes. I saw her yesterday for this fun little field trip and we were talking and we burst into tears in the car because she was like, I have to charge $200 for my pants Mm. because -hmm. they're ethically made. They're indestructible. She's like, women will not buy them for themselves because they don't think they're worth $200. Yes, because here's what I want. I want a company that I'm, and a pair of pants that I'm not going to have to buy another pair in six months from now. I want a pair that goes with everything, that fits my life, that I can look cute in, but also go pick up my kids from school. I want a company that lets me do that too. Do you know what I mean? And you should have that. You are worth it. But you have to say it out loud. Oh, I don't know do if I it. can do that. I'm going to practice with my Jen. All right. We're going to practice at the end of this show. And we're going to do it in, like, no pants. How about that? And oh, it's yeah. not a power pose thing. <laughs> like, yeah. P.S., let Jen and I just interject quickly. This is not an Amy Cuddy power pose. Put on your shoulder pads and become a square businessman strategy. It's not lean in. No. It's recognize. Yes. And this is what I want for my kids and for myself and for my husband, frankly, who's like, yeah, oh, yeah, this is the kind of family that we want to live in, the community want to live in. And honestly, I really do feel like because we're in such a place of privilege, it's our responsibility to do this as well. Yes. Like we have to model different ways of doing it. We can't keep doing it this like destructive way. You can't. That's exactly the way to frame it. If you can't own it for yourself yet, own it for everyone else that doesn't have the privilege to equivocate. Mm-hmm. Own it for your daughter. Own it for your family. Own it for the people that you don't know. Own it for the people that have been excluded from this system, from the people that have dreams of dreams of being on the air the way that you do right now. If you don't own that, you are not paving the way for them to come up behind you. And if you do own it and say, you know, I have a hard time swallowing this for myself, but I'm doing this for the person that is never going to have the chance. I mean, that's why Serena Williams' message is just so spot on right now. It was amazing how quick she could turn after that whole hysterical incident, so-called hysterical incident on the court, and be like, the next person, their experience is going to be different Mm -hmm. because I fought and I said very clearly what my needs were and I knew what my value was. I mean, I see it since Me Too as well. Within Mm -hmm. the last 18 months, the world is a different place, and I am so happy about that. And it's not hysteria. It's a real fine line that we're exploring here. It's uncharted territory. And it has to happen because there's so much pain. But after that moment, you have to get up and create. You have to get up and create. And the creation is to vision the world that you want to see and to build it without any compromises. Mara and Jen, thank you so much. Zebras Unite. Thank you. Thank you, Manoush. And thank thank you, you, Jen, as well. The work that you're doing right now, you have... You won't ever be able to know the influence that you're making on others and the way that you are helping 
other people be brave. So thank you for being vulnerable and being open and taking the risks that you have. All right, damn you both. You've made me cry. So (laughs) we'll leave it at that. All right, so Jen is here (laughs) in the studio with me. What did you think about that conversation? So I've listened to it a couple of times. Like, Mara is just super inspirational, and I I can't not tear up. I should add you're wearing a dress, so technically you're not not wearing wearing pants. pants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you think about the self-actualization stuff? I mean, I'm a little bit of a cynic, as you know. But we need to practice saying we worth need to, it. Right? Really, we need to practice. Yeah. Can you say it? Oh man, without like laughing at myself, I'm not sure I can. Really? Why? Cause I, dude, Gen X, and also like it just reminds me of like cheesy hair dye commercials. Oh yeah, like you know, Pantene, um, you're worth it. You know. I think that was it. Was Maybelline it was or something. right? Was something because like you're that. worth it. Because you're worth it. That sounds so stupid, but I think. <laughs> It does. Sorry, Mara. <laughs> no, but um, I think, uh, well, what is it like? Is the stupid part like Gen X or is it um, women are trained to be humble and, and uh, have humility? What is it about it that's hard for you to say that? I, I think it, part of it is my nature, which you deal with a lot, which is once I've arrived at the conclusion, it's not that interesting and it's very, very obvious to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Once I'm like, well, of course we did this. Duh. I'm not one to look back and say, like, we did this, and therefore we should do more. And I don't know. Does that make sense? It does, but it it reminds me of after we left WNYC, uh, and we had been successful at making note to self. But we didn't know how successful. We literally didn't know our worth when we left. We knew we had a sense of it, right? We, We had a sense that we were, like, doing so well that we could go out on our own. But then when we, after we left, and we talked to people in the industry, because we hadn't been talking that much to people outside, people were like, oh, no, you were killing it. You were killing it. And I know for a fact that you and I right now, because we're going through, like, one of the harder parts of, of starting and founding a business, that we're doing the same thing. All over again? Yeah. Like, we're, like, worried we're failing, even right. though we're obviously not. Right. Like, there are all these things that we're doing that are that are paving our long-term road to success but because we don't know everything and yeah. we, we don't we, and we compare ourselves a lot to other you said that to me the other day you're like you are really competitive right now and I, you're nodding at me yeah that's okay it's good but because i so what annoys me when i think back to how people slash men No, just people. Mm -hmm. How people have tried to motivate us in the past. Mm -hmm. It's been like, go get another million downloads. Mm -hmm. Go make another, you know, whatever in sponsorship. And I think actually that did not motivate us. No. In fact, it it made us feel tired and like, well, what are, what, what, and I'm, I keep trying to think as we go forward, what will, what will continue to motivate us? What will motivate the people who work for us who – I don't think it's great, good job, now go make another 10 podcasts. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I do. I mean I think it's interesting though because intrinsically you and I both know that to succeed, at least for us, part of the measurement of success actually will be broadening, quote unquote, broadening our listenership, meaning growing our audience. And I'm sure that that was probably a motivating factor behind the people that were telling us to do that before. Yeah. But 
But it's different when you own your own business and the very intrinsic motivation was always to make a product that was going to help people uh, and educate true. people. And so the hard part is, is that we vacillated then and we vacillate now to like, well, we have a mission, so it shouldn't matter how big we are. And we've talked about this before. Are we going to like small and culty or are we going to broaden our base? And we realized actually, I think to survive, we we do need to broaden our base. And I think that's fine. But I think there were times when we would have whiplash and we would look back and we would say, okay, we're not succeeding unless we have X amount of downloads. Meanwhile, if we had known that in the rest of the industry, our download numbers were big, like they were pretty big, even compared to mo- to most podcasts out there back then. But I still don't think we would have been satisfied because we felt that there was a business opportunity in our old podcast that was that nobody was taking seriously, which brings us to now. And oddly <laughs> enough, we haven't had the time or the energy to pursue it again because it was exhausting and really hard. What are you referring to? I'm referring to the quote-unquote engagement project. Yes, correct. So do you want to explain what those are? Yes. Uh, Jen, I think it was, Jen Brandle was mentioning it in the interview. She said, the work that you did at Note to Self, which if those of you aren't familiar, that was a podcast. That's how Jen and I met. We worked together building the show Note to Self at New York Public Radio. But the thing that we kind of pioneered at that show with a lot of other people's help was something kind of engagement projects. This were like really deep dive research into things like how we spend our attention, what we do with our time, how we deal with information overload, our ideas around what privacy is in the digital world. And all, like all related to our personal tech, like how we hold and interact with our phones and computers, right? Yes. And and so tens of thousands of people joined us for weeks at a time and did some self-experimentation and reported back with their stories, with data. A lot of these projects that we did are actually cited in academic research papers. And it created a lot of value to the point where the other day I opened an app, <laughs> the Moment app. I love those guys. But they had one of our projects built into their app as a program. And Jen was like, oh, we could have made an app or we could have turned this into like a thing a to profitable help thing. like coaching people. And my, I might add, so that project was called Bored and Brilliant. And Manoush essentially asked people to modify their behavior a little bit each day. So one example would be like, just try and put your phone in your pocket. And people did it, and they freaked out about it. Like this, it, <laughs> no, like it, they, it changed their lives. They like sent us those voice memos, and they essentially became more creative because of the the time that they pulled back into their life because they're not on their phones that whole day. To be clear, it wasn't that simple. I wrote an entire yeah. book about the so process called was, Bored and Brilliant. But yes, that's my point. Though I was about to say is like that project. In addition to leading to a business opportunity for another app, it also led to Manoush writing a book and a TED talk, and eventually you know, inspired us to do other similar types of projects. And eventually, I think it inspired us to leave because there was so much that grew out of that one Mm. project that we just kept thinking, there's more here than just a small podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think we still feel that way. But we're trying to figure out what business opportunities are for us while we have this, this tiny little business and we're still trying to make the show and we're trying to make zigzag and... So that brings us to where she says, asking your audience, right? And here's what I think we want to ask. Help us do the research, the research that Zebras Unite is trying to do, 
the research that really all the people we're going to be interviewing in this season four are trying to do about how we redefine success, how we start to change the culture around business, how we start to use language that makes it okay to leave to go get your kids from school and then, you know, be on Slack later without it feeling like it's tying you up in knots like it often does. But I think that's what we want to do with our listeners, right? This is this is the project, I think. Yeah, so maybe maybe we start off with surveys. You used to start off with I surveys. I love surveys. To try to figure out exactly what the question is that, that the listeners need help with. And maybe we'll do another engagement project with ZigZag around the culture of business. Yeah. Yeah, I just keep coming back to the idea that what we're building with our business is actually we are not the sole, like we're not making all the podcasts. We're not writing all the things. We're not generating all the content. We are a place where they all, we're the nexus. We're like channeling. Yes, we are channeling. We are curating. It's an overwhelmed world out there. Like channeling the collective consciousness. Does that sound cheesy? It sounds a little cheesy, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I, I was at TED last week, which is like, talk about being put on the spot. They're like, so what are you doing? I was like, well, should I give it to you what I said? Yep. Here's what we're doing. I, my longtime producer and I, Jim Poyant, we left exactly one year ago to start our own company. We make podcasts that help people navigate personal and global change. People feel very unmoored by all the the speed at which this world is changing. We are the place where they can find information that helps them think it through to figure out how to live better with their technology, how to do work that um, is ethical and inspires them and still pay the bills. And eventually, we'd like to get to a point where we can tell people where to spend their money so that they align with their values. And when I say spend their money, I don't mean like, you know, buy this laptop, but I mean like they're the tools in their life. You're going to make a newsletter? Maybe you shouldn't use MailChimp like we talked about because as we're learning the fundamentals. Maybe you should use MailChimp. Maybe you should use MailChimp, uh-huh. yeah, because the fundamentals of their business align with the things we're talking about. So could we have like, I don't know, stable genius if you hear about it on our show, it means that we stand by. I, I don't like a whitelist, maybe. Or somebody was like, "Well, that sounds like you're trying to be U.S. News and World Report for colleges. That's a whole process." And blah blah blah. I was like, "Well, no, it doesn't have to be that complicated. <laughs> like, it can be that I talk to the people and I do the research, and we make shows and tell the. St- I'm falling yeah, off. Well, no, Sorry. I mean, I think what you're trying to say is that that. We, over the years, and I would say Jen and Mara said this in the interview, that we have built up a sense of trust. We've talked about trust over and over and over again. You're building a brand around trust. And essentially, you are the expert that says, these are our values. Here's a guide for you if you want to live in a similar way. And here's a community for you to be in. And that's the value that we create. Yes. And I think it's like you can come to us and you're going to find out about zebras. And maybe that's the right fit for you. Or maybe it's the people we talk to on another show. Or maybe it's the story we tell about a different product. Or it's just so loud out there. It's so noisy. Mm -hmm. And I just want to be a quiet place where people can get the information that they want and feel a little more settled. I think that sounds that sounds nice. Here's the question I want to ask listeners. Are you trying unusual sort of business or investment deals? Techniques. Techniques, like whether it's 
doing like a collective so that you all, like a bunch of you own the company or maybe you have a, a Danish man in your life like Jen <laughs> Brandle does, which is kind of cool for Harkin or um, maybe you manage to crowdsource something, whatever. Like we want to hear how you are putting it together, making it work. And I will say, it doesn't have to be just for, like, a startup. Maybe it's, like, for taking care of your kids. Think of, like, running a household as your business. Maybe you've created a babysitting collective. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know there are lots of different ways to run a family, to run uh, maybe your team at at work. Maybe you work for a corporation already. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it is your own business. Like, let's broaden... I think I don't want to just use like, oh, startups. Please record a voice memo uh, or drop us a note at zigzag at stableg.com. That's S-T-A-B-L-E-G, stableg.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, if you have business advice for us or what you'd like our business to become, we would love to hear. We are grateful for your thoughts. Again, it's zigzag at stableg.com. Oh, we have a new website. What? Yeah, it's true. Go check it, it out. It looks really good. It does look good. You did a great job. No, it's not done. There, I'm sure there are typos. If you find them, email us. <laughs> I got to fix it. Go check out the new website. It's at stableg.com. I think it looks hot, mostly. It's about time we had a good website for our company, don't you think? Yeah, it seems appropriate. I'm exhausted by all this self-actualization. Can you do the credits? I've never done the credits. Do it, sister. This episode was produced by me and Manoush Zamarodi. <laughs> right? Fine. David Herman is our composer. Matt Boynton is our audio engineer. Many thanks to Dan DeZula and Maria Wordle for their help, too. ZigZag comes from Stable Genius Productions. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Jen Poyant. And I'm Manoush Zamarodi. Thanks so much for listening. Before we leave, we would like to thank Teams, Switchboard, and Harkin. I will let Jen give the roll call of the incredible people that help us build our companies every day. From Harkin, we have Trisha Bobita, Kavya Sukumar, Allison Jones, Christina Martinez, Sam Withrow, Stephanie Snyder, Janine Anderson, Julia Hasslanger, Summer Fields, Alex Allen, Bridget Thorison, Meredith Turk, Leighton Williams, Kevin Davis, Morton Jorgensen, Morton Anderson, Maylee Carolyn. And from Switchboard, we have not only Mata here in studio, Mata Zepeda, but Chelsea Herring, Tina Hart, and Kieran Hanrahan. Thank you so much for doing the work that is allowing us to have this conversation right now.